0: welcome everybody to another edition of that co-production podcast and these podcasts are delivered in partnership between the research design service southeast and the national institute for health research center for engagement and dissemination and uh, myself and julie are going to be talking to rebecca and john again Welcome back to part two of the podcast with John and
1: Rebecca. What you were saying, Rebecca, about what does success look like um, sort of brings us on nicely to the next question, actually, um, because I think we often value research in terms of the findings and the outputs, you know, for example, how many papers in referee journals and what really comes through In your work and the conversation so far is the importance of the relationship that you've developed between the two of you and what benefits you personally got from the whole co-production experience. I was very, very moved reading some of your quotes about the personal impact that it's had on both of you um, in terms of your well-being. Could you tell us a bit more
0: about that?
2: Well, uh, you, you have to understand that I was at my lowest point when I was at uh, the Salvation Army. I'd never been there before. i, I would be totally back. My whole life beforehand had been one of, of joy and wonderfulness. I'd been at Oxford, I'd been to Hong Kong, I'd lived in Hong Kong, I'd had all sorts of privileged lives. And suddenly, everything went bang. And I was in a dark hole. And suddenly there was around me somebody who actually just offered a, a line, and I don't mean that a line of coke or anything like that. I'm sorry to actually say that, but uh, within the place I was at, that's precisely what everyone would have thought. Uh, and I had a, a lifeline flung to me by Rebecca, and for me, it offered me the ability to actually kind of get my spirit lifted and i know that sounds uh, quite out there somewhere but i needed it it was quite quite invaluable and i've always always got this thing which i, I have there she basically the totem pole of hope to me and it was it was always that once i knew that she was there that then i could actually grab hold of what she was talking about in order to actually say right fine so now we're talking about people like myself and i was in a dreadful position and and i had no hope and yet i was so uplifted so able to actually use all of what we were doing in order to inspire myself and say, right, fine, I will get back in control, I will find a new life, I will be positive. So for me, that perspective of why would you join in? And I actually know of other people who are in the same position. I know of one person called Gary. Gary is a person who says you're so lucky John because you had someone to guide you through and out of this process which we find ourselves in and he himself is a really educated person and he talks to me about space programs and about how he can better itself so you can imagine an uplifting spirit there. And everyone just sits there and just thinks that anyone with mental health problems is normally either psychotic and, uh, uh, you know, has got a big knife in their hands uh, from psycho, or else they're just a drunk on the street. And that's just not the fact. And that's just not what is the reality. There are a lot of people who need a a lot of help, and also those people can be of great help
1: to and inspirational to the work which I hope that uh, Rebecca has brought to the table. Yeah, one of the things that for me is kind of at the root of co-production is this sense of um, value, everybody having value, that as human beings we have intrinsic value. And I think it sounds to me, John, as though there was something about this process that helped you to recognise how valuable your contribution was and that you had value and and that that had an impact on your self-worth. Would that be right?
2: Yes, you are absolutely hit the nail on the head. You've hit the nail on the head. What you have to do with co-production is to make the other partner, not a junior partner, but a co-partner, an equal partner, and in doing so, you empower them. Uh, and I use the word empower uh, quite liberally because I had, uh, without even realising it, uh, Naomi Wolf, who is a, sort of the great feminist and and the great empowerer, she uses the expression to empower women, but she also talks about to empower, when I spoke to her, she said to empower humanity. And when she spoke to me about that in a little Chinese Soho Chinese restaurant, I thought she was the most amazing person, simply because of how she was expressing herself. And I think co-production allows people to empower themselves on both sides, so that uh, so that what I gain from it myself, I also give in 100% to Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And that is the main thing. You just feel so, well, wonderfully empowered. I can't express it any other way.
3: And I think that that mutual benefit or that kind of reciprocity of benefit, I think is really important to focus on as as well. And very much as John is talking about sort of empowered, having a sense of value, I equally experience those benefits from being involved with John and and doing co-production. So I think it's also when we evaluate, is perhaps the wrong word, but at least reflect on co-production. It's recognising what impact did it have for, for people involved both in terms of research, but both in terms of relationship development um, and personal development as well. So I think that reciprocity of benefits is key. Um, I myself am a far more confident person as as an individual now, having worked with John and and gone through the process that we've gone through. John was very much a beacon of light as well for me when research can feel really intense. Um, It can feel very competitive. Whereas actually our our bubble that we'd sort of created in the process reminded me of why we do research, and obviously some people have a di- very different perspective on that. But for me, it helped me to ground and almost give my give myself confidence that what we were doing was having an impact. It was making a difference to people, and that that was really comforting as well. And it was just a sort of a pure delight to see. The changes and the confidence that John was was developing within himself so when we talked at the beginning kind of questioning a psychiatrist or questioning um, John's own experience was quite difficult whereas towards the end I remember John saying well actually no my time is just as important I want to talk about this so seeing that was was a lovely experience as well and I think it's important as well in terms of when we talk about benefits but also potentially the, the challenges that co-production can bring when as a researcher you're trained in a certain way. And it can be a very uncomfortable place if you like to then start questioning that training that's been enforced upon you or your supervisors kind of promote it a certain way that like you which academic success is is ordered in a certain way. And sometimes the, the research you're in, you can see firsthand the changes around the people you're working with but trying to convey that in an academic paper is very hard and I guess that comes back to sort of the the ancient arguments of what evidence is and who is a knowledgeable source of evidence so um yeah I think the benefits are almost sort of impossible to put put into words what they are but they are very much relational benefits personal benefits um yeah, John, John articulates this much better than I do. <laughs> if it works properly, then it lifts the spirits. And I know that I'm not trying to actually say, oh, one has to be this, that, and the other, but in terms of uh, religious things, but it lifts your spirits. And there's something about humanity which I've always thought, and I've seen it more and more now, uh, after the research I've done
2: with Rebecca, and that is that there is something that lifts the human spirit above that. We're not animals, and we are we are blindly different and wonderful. And if we actually take that challenge on to uh, uh, and accept that, then we should accept that each individual is as important as the next. So that when you do research. It might be that you come to the table with a lot more knowledge, but that other person might have knowledge which is vastly equal to your own knowledge and it should be used. And you should, instead of actually dismissing it, it should be like vampires devouring it (laughs) and loving it and going, Oh my goodness, this is. This is what it's all about. So this is what people really feel. (laughs) This is what people really understand. I, I can only say that what I've gathered from being with Rebecca in this project is I've actually built myself up now and I will be so that everyone knows this. I'm going to be discharged from my care next February They think that I'm so on the ball and they said that the work I was doing with Rebecca just wasn't a coincidence. It directly led to my ability to move forward.
1: That is so inspiring. Thank you so much. I hope the honesty that you've both shown in talking about those benefits will go on to inspire other people to realise that co-production is the way forward. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, I just second that. Wow, that's um, a sense of reciprocity. And and I, I think people miss the point that all this huge sort of immense value in investment in in relationships and the personal benefits that we get out of it can only impact on the research, the work that we then produce in, in a positive way. Even if it's difficult sometimes to actually pinpoint what that is, we, we know, we know. Yeah what effect it's having um so wonderful to hear that story and I'm just delighted John that your life has that has has taken that turn and, and and wonderful to hit to hear that my next question is sort of delving back in a way into sort of the research world and I think Rebecca you you mentioned academic papers as part of that rather hierarchical process yeah what we value and I believe you've, you've both got a, an interesting experience to share about trying to get John's name on a, on a publication. So, um, yeah, both of you tell us about that story.
3: I'll, I'll take a first stab, John.
2: You're going to get 10 out of 10 as
3: usual. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was at the very beginning of the journey um, and one of our first papers that we tried to publish. And of course, the, the way that the paper's set up, you have to identify your affiliations so which university typically that you're you're attached to and of course john's expertise is his lived experience i do not have that lived experience and that is why john is so integral to the research particularly with the research we're talking about today it was john's idea but what we noticed is that the editors wouldn't accept john's name because their their system how it was set up wouldn't allow at the time for you not to be attached to an institution. So we had to write a letter to the editor to explain the benefits, I guess, of of John's involvement. And again, it comes back to that sense that sometimes you have to defend co-production in the way that you're doing it. We also had some reviewer comments about then the authenticity or credibility of John's input because of his mental health diagnosis. And that felt really, hard and as a, as a researcher often we we respond to review of comments sort of in isolation but of course we were co-producing this and it was a real struggle to decide whether to share the review of comments or not and I didn't know what would be the best approach but I thought well we've shared everything up until this point so it's not my place to decide What's appropriate for John and what isn't, which again comes back to that sharing of power and continuously reflecting on the decisions you're making and why you're making them. So John and I looked through the reviewers' comments, back in the library again, and John took it as actually sort of a a source of motivation to keep going and proving the point, really, which was really commendable because it could have been very easy to just say, particularly as this was at the beginning of our journey, to just say oh well this is what we're going to come up against repeatedly and I am proud to say that we haven't come across this issue since Um, but we did have to defend the importance of John's involvement his input the additional expertise the knowledge that he was bringing to the team you know he was involved in all aspects of the design the analysis writing up reviewing the manuscript so for us it was a no-brainer but again it's trying to convince people who perhaps don't understand co-production don't necessarily see its value because it's not typically viewed in the same way as other approaches but I think that's changing but it was definitely something we came up against at the beginning of our journey.
2: I'm going to interject slightly and remind everyone just remind you thank you Rebecca because it just reminds me of this but when I was in hospital my psychiatrist's refused point blank to speak to me and that impacted great on me and when i first met rebecca we were dealing with issues where i was thoroughly depressed but thoroughly down and out and she brought me back from the brink and after that within the co-production what normally happens is that the, the voice isn't actually heard my voice wasn't heard for ages by people who were psychiatrists, psychologists and so forth and it was only when I started doing all of the co-production with Rebecca that I was taken seriously because we happened to have a mutual sort of in inverted promise friend, a doctor Dr. Ayers and Dr. Ayres took me seriously and he eventually and said look John always think about it in terms of 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 co-production because you're thinking of patients. And this is an example of co-production. He said, why do you go and see somebody, blah, blah, blah. And I was referred. But my point is this. If if you have referrals, then you get to a truth. And what I found with co-production, and instead of being denied possibilities, I was able to actually find a future. Very powerful stuff. But
3: I would just say, John, you brought yourself back from the brink. I didn't. You did.
2: No, 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 no. (laughs) I know exactly what happened. For all you guys listening, this is what co-production can achieve in terms of mental health, is to listen to people, to listen to the voices of people who are suffering. And as Rebecca listened, I don't mean this patronisingly, you learnt. Oh, Absolutely. and, and, and in learning, that inspired you to be able to actually write. Mm. It's uh, like listening to a Jane Austen novel. is <laughs> Wow.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think the listening bit comes first. I, I you know in my work over the past, when I first started out about 15 years ago in, in research anyway, or even before that, when I was sort of working in service development and trying to get that voice of lived experience out there and um and i used to meet people you know mental health professionals and research academics who used to have a bit of a moan to me and i guess they thought they could because i was a, a researcher and they kind of saw that rather than the lived experience and then they sort of say oh, it was all very well having these meetings but, you know, these people, they don't have to go on, you know, and they talk about things that have got nothing to do with the research, you know. And I turned around and I don't know how many times I've said this. And I've said, well, that's because people have never been listened to before. Before you even start talking about research, you've got to hear people's story. It doesn't And it doesn't matter what that story is about. It doesn't matter whether it's on the research topic or not. You've got to hear that story and you've got to actively listen to it because otherwise people won't start using that in the research and i still don't think people get that that i just don't think they do lots of people do um but lots of people don't still I, I digress, but
2: no, you have digressed at all. You've actually said something very, very important because there are we, we have the COVID uh, instance of 100,000 deaths, which is awful and appalling, and within our own society we have millions of people and i see them and all the research says there are uh, well hundreds of thousands of people who live in the same life that i live and i come across them on a daily basis and for them that they definitely have a story and they want to talk to people and they don't want to be just reduced to the underclass to be turned into nothingness and I'm lucky, I have carpets on my floor, I have warmth, I have a home. But for a lot of people with mental health issues, that doesn't exist. And I've come across that time and time again. Uh, I know uh, Rebecca and I are in Plymouth. And I know the person who I'm helping out at the moment who's been reduced to living on the street and I can see his mental health deteriorating on a daily basis. He's withdrawing on a daily basis and I bring him coffee, I bring him sandwiches and I try to say, look, you you must go up to uh, the Salvation Army but the Salvation Army is full. So he has nowhere to go and these stories are the stories which you as researchers and people uh, wanting to actually get people to tell their real story of what's going on in life need to uh, accept and to take on board.
1: Can I just ask a further bit to the last question, John? When you're talking there about a lifetime of not feeling... Listen to and then you're doing something really valuable uh, with Rebecca on this research and it's taken to a publication and they say oh yeah Rebecca's name fine John's name no can you remember how that felt on a personal level did did it have an impact on you that being made invisible again well quite honest
2: I actually burst out laughing I thought it was ridiculous it was <laughs> so typically typically snobby <laughs> of people to, I know it sounds that this incorrect word, snobby, but uh, intellectually snobby uh, to actually say, oh no, this person can't be of any value. He hasn't got the correct credentials. And I tell you why I burst out laughing, because I hold a master's. And so I just thought, well, okay, fine. What well, is? it's not really intellectually relevant to what we were doing. And yet I could see then that if I was treated in that fashion, then goodness knows what would happen to people like Gary X, who we've spoken about before, who is a very, very bright and astute person and who has had a a dreadful life and would dearly love to be a partner in some sort of co-production. And I think that everyone's missing the plot by just, just thinking, oh, well, dismissed them they're nobody's they're nothing and whereas I just thought well poo poo to you lot and I also trusted the
1: integrity of Rebecca to fight my corner and she did she truly fought my corner and we won. That's brilliant John thank you so much that really challenged my assumptions there you know I'm kind of thinking oh John must have found that really difficult and that's at Absolutely fantastic, yeah, yeah. You're right. It was their loss, wasn't it?
3: And I think it speaks to that thing of seeing the person first and not diagnoses or educational achievements. It's see the person first and see what they're bringing to the table. I think labelling and terminology is, is actually really detrimental sometimes in co-production. Obviously, the term patient is it, is itself problematic, and and people don't necessarily agree with that, with unanimous agreement either over an alternative term. So I think going back to the power as well, is John decided what he wanted to be called. John decided his, his label, if you like, because that was a sense of ownership then f- for him. And I think that's another important thing is it doesn't matter necessarily what's come before you, but it's working out what's going to work for the people you're working with at, in that project in terms of terms, labels, statements. I think that's another important thing to consider and more broadly we need a bit of a cultural change respect people's expertise and experience and not necessarily attribute that to an educational outcome or attainment
1: thank you that's been really fascinating conversation and we've got one last question at the end that we always ask our guests if there was one thing that you could wish for to further co-production what would it be (laughs) (laughs) Um, What would I like to uh, have as something to further co-production, that would be for the the original author, i.e. the instigator of the project,
2: to start to realise right at the beginning that they're not the boss and that they need to actually come humbly to the table and come with basically an open plate saying, feed me, please. And if I can actually say something from Oliver Twist, is there more, sir? And the answer should be, of course, there's more. Listen and learn.
3: Well, that's a very tough act to follow, John. Thank you. Um I think, yeah, very similar similar to John. I think for me in terms of furthering co-production, I think it's around support. And what I mean by that is support and recognition from institutions about the additional value of co-production, but also the complexity of co-production. And sometimes it's seen as a soft pink fluffy thing that can be done um, by unskilled researchers in particular. So I have had conversations around that, that it's it's easy to do. I'd argue, yes, it is easy to do in some sense, but equally, it's actually a very skillful process. And there is a lot of emotional demands, both on patients involved, but also researchers involved. So I think there needs to be organisational support and recognition of co-production moving forward. I think there also needs to be support in terms of changing traditional academic approaches to research. Things like ethics, for example, are an absolute nightmare when you're trying to co-produce, because you can't predict what's going to happen for your ethics application when you're co-producing. Um, so I think for our PhD, I went through four ethics revisions, I think. Obviously, that's going to take quite a bit of time, but I know a lot of other researchers at Ollie Williams and Louise Locock have talked about when people say co-production doesn't work, that doesn't mean because it's co-production that's problematic. It's the culture and the context in which co-production currently has to operate within. So I think for me, it would be around changing that and I think that is happening but if it could happen at a quicker rate I think that that would be real so I think for me it, it's support but kind of on, on multiple levels for the individuals involved and the organisations that
2: are supporting. I interject slightly that where the ethics is concerned is top down again mm-hmm. it's always top down knowledge rather than inspiration comes from the ground And when I mentioned about police service there some more, I actually think the reason why I said that was it's gritty. And people don't want to get dirty. It's not nice. They want everything to be in nice little boxes and committees. And right at the end of the day, it's as gritty as you can get to, as you well know, at Salvation Army. Hmm. Uh, It's not going to get grittier than that, in life. And that is something which I think any researcher, bearing their arms, needs to actually kind of take on board and say, well, they could easily do it with a committee and then find some appropriate people. But it'd be very, very difficult to actually kind of walk into the
1: lion's den. That's how you should approach joint and co-production. I love that image of the chief researcher coming to the table humbly saying, you know, please share with me. Uh, That's what I need to hear. Thank you
3: give it a go. I think that would be my other kind of message is give it a go and give yourself permission and recognition that you're not always going to get things right. And I think if you go with that mindset, you, you make yourself sort of vulnerable in a sense, and that can be very uncomfortable for researchers. But I think you have to make yourself vulnerable in, in some essence to really enable co-production to work Um, across the communities involved but I would say give it a go there's an amazing community out there and honesty and openness is the best policy going forward if you don't know if you're concerned if you're not sure how to refer to certain things ask the people you're working with I'm sure they'd rather be asked than making inaccurate assumptions that just perpetuate inaccurate perceptions and experiences so yeah give it a go. And you won't look back. I think that's the other thing. Once you've done it once, you'll keep wanting more. Like John says, please, sir, can I have some more? (laughs) That's
1: brilliant. Rebecca. Rebecca's
2: expressed it so well. I would just say to a lead researcher to act with warmth, empathy and generosity of spirit and heart. And if you do that, you, you have no idea what you'll get back from the other person and how also, you uh, on a human basis, you, you will encourage them to give their best. I know full well that when I was working with Rebecca, when we were doing our project together, her warmth encouraged me. So it was something I looked forward to. It was something which I could actually respect and just enjoy and say, right, fine, I've better do some homework. <laughs> Things that, as easy as that. And for a researcher to actually have someone wanting to do their homework and come to the table saying, yeah, 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 I'm with you. I know what you're talking about. That's a wonderful uh, aspect of co-production. And it's something, in other words, you'll get rewarded by the person. You'll go, oh, my goodness me, that person's on the ball. And the reason why they're on the ball is because you brought them onto the same table.
1: Thank you so much. That's been just so heartwarming to listen to your stories. I feel that we could all talk for a lot longer, but we probably better wrap it up there. So just once again, thank you so much for joining us today and being so open and honest.
0: Yeah, and I second that. I've had the privilege of listening to you both on previous occasions and and each time there's something more to hear and something more to enjoy and and relish and see so clearly how your relationship plays out. It's been uh, absolutely fabulous to have the opportunity. Thank you very, very much to everybody. Thank you for
3: having us. It's been
2: brilliant. Thank you both. It's been wonderful.